For any parent, trying to navigate the education system can be challenging and overwhelming at times, especially if you have a child with 22Q. But we are fortunate to have Donna Cutler-Landsman in our corner. Donna has over 35 years of classroom experience and has worked with children with and without learning challenges. She is the author of an excellent book called Educating Children with Velocardiofacial Syndrome, 22Q11.2 Deletion Syndrome, and DeGeorge Syndrome, now in its third edition. This book and her knowledge has helped thousands of families and educators navigate this unfamiliar world. I'm honored to introduce you to Donna. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 22Q podcast. My name is Becky White, and I am honored to have Donna Cutler Landsman. And she is this wonderful person I was able to meet through the 22Q Family Foundation. And she wrote an incredible book all about how to help and focus around the education of students with 22Q. And it helped our family immensely when we started this journey through education. So Donna, welcome. And thank you so much for being on today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I can only think of like the hundreds of families and students and teachers that you've helped over the years. And it's just amazing. And I truly just want to say thank you from our family, because your book, I hand it to every teacher at the beginning of the school year. (laughs) And I say, here's a great resource. Take a few minutes. I've highlighted everything. I have it all. I have your old edition too, all bookmarked and ready to go but it is such a great resource. So thank you so much. And I wanted to just let you introduce yourself, tell people who you are and a little bit about your book. Sure. Well, I am Donna Cutler-Landsman. I am a a former educator. I was uh, a teacher for many, many years. I also have a, a master's degree in counseling psychology and a child who is now an adult with this syndrome. And I have you know, a long journey uh, dealing with both the syndrome that, you know, I didn't really understand as a young parent. At the time, my child was diagnosed back in 1994. Not much was known about 22Q. So um, I kind of stumbled through the journey and started getting connected with the professionals that were running conferences around the world. And um, through them and really their friendship and their guidance, which I can't um, thank them enough, uh, wonderful, wonderful professionals, you know, kind of helped me understand the syndrome. And over the years, this kind of morphed into my own personal journey with it and then trying to give back to the community. And, you know, early on with that, I brought some of my knowledge as a teacher to conferences, um, both domestically and internationally, and started speaking at these conferences and talking about things that worked with me and my son and my experience in education. And this kind of led me to today where I am consulting with families, you know, worldwide, really, on uh, educating children with the syndrome. So it's been a long journey, but I'm very, very uh, happy to be here today to kind of share the nuances of it with you and your audience. Thank you. We're happy to have you too. And, you know, what are some of the most common learning challenges that a child with 22Q will face? 
Well, it varies from child to child, but you know, there is a lot of consistency. Really the the biggest struggle is really in the area of executive functioning and planning and organization and being able to execute on tasks. You know, beyond that, there is really a profound difficulty in mathematics that seems to permeate the syndrome from child to child. I meant most of the kids that I see moving on to adult life need some level of support with money management. Other areas are reading comprehension, um, some social cognition issues sometimes, and then most kids with this have anxiety. So uh, learning new tasks and um, managing in a school setting sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. So we always need to do some programming around that. But that in a nutshell is kind of the main challenges. You know, there are other nuances from child to child, but that's pretty consistent across kids. Mm -hmm. And what is the number one education question that you get asked the most? Well, I think the staff in staff around the country really are struggling to figure out how to best help the kids. Um, because they do come in with a lot of medical challenges and all of these different learning challenges. And, you know, the question is, how do I help this child? And, you know, my answer really depends on the age level, because this syndrome changes from an educational perspective over time. So early on, um, the needs center around therapies, speech and language, OT, sometimes PT, but you know, as children learn to speak better because of the, they have palate abnormalities and velopharyngeal insufficiency that causes speech issues. Um, once that is dealt with surgically and through therapy, you know, sometimes early elementary, the kids can manage pretty well in school because decoding for reading is a strength. But as they move through school at about third grade level, when tasks become more complex and executive functioning skills are more important and the there are higher level of thinking skills that are asked of the children when they answer questions at school, things become more difficult. And, you know, maybe the questions are, how do I help my child at this particular level or what's wrong or why is my child struggling so much in school as they are in middle and high school? And that's because of the nature of 22Q. And there is a kind of a change in needs over time where children with this tend to have a lot more trouble as they mature, mastering the typical school content. So um, I think sometimes families have a little bit harder time figuring out how to manage with the kids when they enter you know, upper elementary or middle school, because, you know, oftentimes there's a lot of challenges there that they're just not understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like how you mentioned each stage is different. There's not one question because the questions change with the student. Exactly. 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 Going through the stages of 22 um, in a child's education, what should parents be prepared for? So if you wouldn't mind just starting at like the baby preschool, starting IEP and testing, what should a parent who has a, a new child that is about to enter the school system, what should they be preparing for? 
Yeah, well, I definitely would contact the school system from the get-go because we have a lot of data and research that many children, the vast majority of children with the syndrome, need some type of special programming. So, you know, there's programs birth to three. There are programs, preschool programs. So I would get them in as soon as possible, speaking to the school staff to see if they can be tested and see where their developmental stage is. And if they're behind in an area, they can be worked with in the home and there's programs from the get-go. So, you know, certainly we center around at that age level, speech and language, which is oftentimes delayed with this syndrome and occupational therapy. A lot of children with this have what's called hypotonia or low muscle tone. So there's exercises and, and you know, resources available to help them build muscles and move easier, holding a pencil, cutting and coloring and doing all those things. And then, and I think in addition to that is just managing in a classroom. So sometimes those little ones need some experience get uh, separating from mom and dad and being in school and just understanding a classroom routine, you know, being able to sit still and not fidget too much and listen to a story. So you know, all of those kind of school readiness things. Sometimes kids with 22Q need a little extra TLC with getting them ready to even be successful in that type of environment. So that would be the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. As, um, as we move through, you know, in kindergarten, first and second grade, it's reading skills. Decoding is usually a strength and rote memory is a strength. So, Little ones in elementary school can typically learn to read, um, but where they fall down is really comprehending what they're reading. So it's the task of really working with them on predicting what's going to happen in a story and being able to retell a story with enough details. And then um, math is always that area of need where we're really focusing in on developing number sense and understanding what numbers stand for. So a lot of embedded support for them uh, at the early elementary ages in, in understanding number and you know what math is all about uh, to the best that we can. And then, of course, making some accommodations in the in the classroom, like preferential seating and re-explaining. And, you know, there are a lot of things we can embed into IEPs that will help the child be successful. Um, there's also some hidden visual perceptual issues with the syndrome that are not always readily apparent. It's not really acuity or understanding how to read uh, letters in a doctor's office. So it's not really that, it's how the brain processes visual information. So it's more like visual memory, visual discrimination, um, understanding um, how to close an object if it's partially covered, it's called visual closure. Those kinds of things can be impaired in this population. And it's not really something that is readily apparent. So we, we want to make sure that we're testing and doing the neuropsychological assessments that are necessary to really understand the child. Right. Why are the neurological tests so important? Why would do you encourage parents to get those tests done? Well, twofold. First of all, we can understand how the child learns. And if they have strengths, we want to teach to the strength 
So if they have visual, spatial and visual perceptual deficits, we want to verbally overteach everything. We don't want to rely on demonstration and visual memory when the child has a deficiency in that area. So we want to understand how they're learning and gear the instruction to that to best optimize their chance for success in the classroom. That's one reason. The second reason is to, to track their uh, achievement and change over time. So if we have a baseline at elementary, we can repeat the test in three years and then in another three years and another three years. And that allows us to both um, decide if their educational program is appropriate for them, if they're making progress relative to their um, peers. And it also helps us change our structure and how we're approaching their learning um, over time because we know that this syndrome has challenges over time. So we want to make sure that we're matching what we're expecting of the child in the classroom and where what they actually are dealing with from an educational perspective and the way that they learn and they can process information. So I, I think it's avoiding that mismatch as they get older, because um, as we're talking about early elementary, when they run into more, more trouble at middle and, and high school, um, we don't want to stress those kids out. You know, that's one of the real risks with 22Q is developing more of a mental health difficulty. And researchers have looked at too much stress and what that does to this population. And it can really kind of push those kids to more, I guess, more um, difficult mental health issues. And, you know, some children that where the, the expectations are high and they're not able to meet those expectations and they're not understood, start having self-hatred, self-doubt. They don't want to go to school. They withdraw. There's depression. And that can escalate into more serious problems. Right. So we really want to make sure we're understanding the syndrome longitudinally and being able to help the children feel good about themselves, like school, continue to learn and move toward a future that is consistent with what they're capable of handling. Right. So I, that's, you know, to answer, I think the testing is really important. Yeah. And, you know, it also um, allows for many children with 22Q to, to be qualified for state programming, for long-term care, for you know, medical help, for social security as they age out of school. So we need to have scores. Otherwise, you know, they don't, th there's no way to, to qualify them for programming. Right. And for those students that are in the older years of school, high school, and about to get out of high school, what are some recommendations you have for those family members or those individuals? Yeah, that's a really, really critical time for those families because decisions that they make can really, um, you know, kind of set their child up for help in the adult community or really lead to situations where the help is needed, but, you know, the family hasn't done the things that they need to do to apply for that help or get qualified for the help. So we really want to work with the high school staff to get the right tests done 
and to write IEPs as the child is getting ready to exit high school that clearly articulate where the needs are that don't brush over the needs and are honest. I really work with families to be um, introspective and, and really think about what their child would need if they were 100% independent on a college campus or in the community on their own and help those families come to terms with whether or not they're gonna need uh, community support. Um, and many, many, many children with 22Q as young adults do need a level of community involvement. Many are independent, you know, having jobs, you know, some are married, some drive, but there's always that underlying need for some support around executive functioning, money management. And so that it becomes difficult for families to manage that totally on their own without mm -hmm. any support from the community. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. It's such a wide range, it's a wide range. It really is. Right. Yeah. No, thank you for that advice. And if parents continue to get pushed back from their school district at any age, what are some suggestions that you have for them that they could do? Well, you know, I would keep, um, pursuing it. You know, they can they can certainly reach out to me or to the foundation the 22Q Family Foundation to get educational support. There is a program um, that's free of charge for families through the educational foundation. Um, I also do private consulting to families that helps them go through the IEP, advocate strongly for their child and understand what the needs are. So there is help out there. The VCF uh, virtual center also does uh, education advocacy and support. So families in the United States have resources here that can help them. Um, and we have knowledge based on years of experience, many, many IEP meetings. I mean, thousands that I've attended, you know, we have data and we have, we have research studies that families can go back to their school district really armed with some pretty strong data that indicates that children need the support. So I would say if they're being shut down, um, I would reach out to the, the resources that are available to them and bring in advocates to the table. Mm -hmm. Because I think my experience, at least um, dealing with school districts is that Really, the staff there is it wants to help. Um, sometimes, though, they're just in the dark about what the syndrome is. They don't really understand it. And when I come in more as a quote unquote expert to the table, it really does help the staff see from a different perspective. I can bring in all of my data from the thousands of, you know, IEP meetings that I've attended. It gives a different it's a different perspective than a single parent can bring into the IEP. Because a lot of times staff will kind of dismiss the parent because they get a lot of parents in there with you know um, needs for their children and they don't really sometimes listen as carefully as they need to to parents right. that come in. So yeah, yeah. So, so reach out to the community. Um, you know, there is help out there and right. we have a, a wide range of professionals around the country 
that are very willing and able to help. So, which is great and can feel so isolating when you're in it, especially as a young parent, just starting the journey. It, it's, it's so intimidating and it's a lot of work, but know that there are resources, like you just said, right. and don't lose hope. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Don't lose hope. Right. Thank you for that. What is one thing you want every 22Q parent to know when it comes to their child's education? That the kids really with 22Q can learn. And if it, if it is um, difficult for them that the uh, mode of instruction needs to change, I think in my experience, children with this syndrome do better in a one-on-one -on -one or small group setting to re-explain the material and the hands-on experiential learning is the way to go. That book learning or lecture learning doesn't really sink in like actually doing the activity. And that learning with 22Q really is a little delayed, but it continues throughout a lifetime. So, you know, to continue working with the kids through their 20s, through their early 30s and, and beyond, because there's capacity here to learn and to be independent and successful in the community and not to be discouraged um, because book learning and the typical way that education is, is run in the country for the masses is not necessarily a way that is conducive to children with this syndrome learning. So um, hands-on, experiential, small group and repetition, drill and practice coming back. And I think really the direct instruction, that's the other piece of this that, you know, don't expect uh, the child to make a lot of reasoning leaps and, you know, trying to figure out things from a lot of different perspectives. It's, it, it's, it's almost better to say, this is how we do it. And this is why, and we're going to go step by step and teach, teach it through drill and practice and they'll catch on and they can catch on to very complex learning. You know, there are uh, adults with this that have taken university classes and past university classes. You know, there's, there's ways to go through this. I think that are um, more conducive to success, but you know, sometimes the larger group setting where there's no support is a very difficult kind of scary, anxious environment for children with this. And they can tend to shut down because of um, delays in processing speed and working memory. It makes that mode of instruction pretty hard for kids with 22Q to, to manage within that type of modality. And it is easier for them to have it re-explained where they can answer questions. It's a smaller group. It can be slowed down. More examples can be given. Same level of difficulty, but in a very different approach. So Right. Very different approach. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Because they are capable. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just a different approach. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I know that you just started with the 22Q Family Foundation, the new special education advocacy training. Could you touch upon that really quick, just to yeah, let people know about it? Absolutely. So right now I am, quote unquote, the advocacy expert here for the United States. You know, there's one of me. And um, as COVID struck and, you know, there was a lot more need, but also sort of introspective from my perspective, I really 
felt like this was the right time to share my knowledge with the community. I meant there is no guarantee that any of us are going to be around um, forever. There's no, you know, for 10 more years or 15 more years or whatever. I don't have any plans to retire. So not to say I'm, you know, exiting this, but I really wanted while I was able to be fully invested in the community to share this knowledge with other people. So the idea is to train and to really um, help mentor interested people that would be interested in doing what I do, which is advocating for children in the school setting at IEP meetings. And um, what we've done, what I've done uh, along with the support of the 22Q Family Foundation is I've put together training modules and right now I'm running a class. I have about 28 uh, interested parties here that great. are through my advocacy training. They're a wonderful, fabulous group. I'm loving it. We're meeting on Wednesdays where they're watching a module, answering some questions, and we're discussing it on Wednesdays for about an hour in Zoom call. And they, the goal is really to to um, branch out, you know, possibly have advocates that are more regional so that we would have a West Coast advocate, we'd have a Midwest, we'd have South, we'd have the East Coast. And I would kind of be an overseer. So I would be there helping everybody and, you know, taking the harder cases, obviously, where maybe it's a little bit more difficult, but having more boots on the ground, so to speak, and um, having more people out there with that base of knowledge that would be able to kind of, you know, work within regional areas. And we have some interested people, you know, the modules are recorded. So I don't know whether we're going to repeat this again, and maybe, you know, grow this a little bit more. But I am, I'm thrilled to have this group of honestly, very talented people that responded to this. Um, and I'm excited to think about, you know, expanding this to more, more educational consultants that will be trained both in general advocacy for anybody with any, which I do general advocacy. I've worked with families with problems that are not 22Q. So I, I specialize in 22Q, but I've expanded to other areas. But we're going to have this group that's trained, and then also we'll have the 22Q training, which is starting after after the holidays uh, next spring to, you know, be specific with 22Q. But, uh, you know, this is the idea. And then um, these, these uh, people will work, you know, hopefully for the Family Foundation and, um, you know, be out there as, as, spokespeople, mentors, and um, really can come to the table with families, you know, via Zoom or in person and share the 22Q and be there to support more people. That so, is fantastic. Yeah, I I, I want to leave a legacy. You know, I've been at this for a long time and I can't just see if I quit. If I say tomorrow, you know, I'm, I'm tired with this, I'm, I'm done. Where does that leave everybody? So- right. This is designed to leave, you know, a lot of footprints and a lot of people that can then pick, that can pick this up and move forward with it. So the idea is to grow and to have people um, available and willing to support others. Mm -hmm. so, 
That's fantastic. Cause there's only one you. Well, there is and there's it, only one you and right you can now. never retire. No. <laughs> I'm not really planning retiring. You know, honestly, I love what I do and I love working with families, but who knows? I meant you can't guarantee anything in, in the world. So this way um, I'm feeling better about how, how this is moving forward. So this is kind of a long-term plan. Yeah, and, that's great. Um, we're excited. We're really excited about it. Yeah. It is. It's a great, great, great thing you guys are doing. And you can find out more on um, Donna's website on this podcast um, description so people can find you. And that way you can, you can also reach Donna through her Gmail on the website as well and find out a little bit more about all of her services. And with a few more minutes, I did want to briefly just ask a little bit about your 22Q journey yourself and being a 22Q mom and just whatever you're willing to share. We'd love to hear. Well, I have a 38-year-old son with 22Q that I am extremely proud of. He has really, you know, overcome a lot of challenges in his life. So, you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with when he was born. He had three palate surgeries, um, a lot of trouble with the velopharyngeal insufficiency, but today you would never know that uh, he had all the speech therapy that he had. You know, he uh, got through school, he um, had difficulty, you know, with, with learning and with, you know, mastering the curriculum, but was an extremely hard worker. And, uh, you know, we worked very hard with them to try to provide the therapies and the support educationally. And, you know, he ended up uh, attending uh, Madison Area Technical College and, you know, was married um, for a period of time. He's no longer married, but he has a a beautiful daughter. We have a just an adorable little eight-year-old granddaughter through him that he has 50% custody and he's very devoted as a dad. Um, he is um, working in a retail and at a Walgreens and is uh, enjoying his job. He's a very responsible worker. He does not call in sick. He's uh, done driving jobs for years in the past. And, you know, he's very reliable, very sweet young man. He he do anything for anybody. So he is uh, a very um, devoted son, calls us all the time. Uh, he lives up north. We live in Florida. So he is up you know, kind of on his own, um, with a little support through the community, but, um, you know, he is, uh, doing really well. Yeah. So, so we're fortunate with that. So I would say to parents hang in there because, uh, the children with this, the young adults with this adults with this, it's a journey that is a difficult journey journey for them. But, um, I, I just, you know, and a lot of times I wish I could almost change society because this is, this is kind of a hidden disability. And over the years, um, you know, I've watched with my own son struggling with people that just really just didn't understand him and um, could be mean or say things because of ignorance and misunderstanding and really treat him in ways that, you know, I found hurtful as a parent watching it. And I I think that these podcasts, just really having people understand that there are others out there with 
somewhat hidden disabilities here. They may not understand by looking at somebody that looks like, you know, everybody else looks, but inside there's these learning differences and uh, different ways that they see the world and different challenges. And there needs to be a little bit more kindness and love and respect um, in the community, I think, for people with challenges and with this, this syndrome in particular. So thank you for sharing all that. And what has your son taught you? Oh my goodness. Um, tenacity, patience, um, willingness to pick himself up and move forward. Um, you know, he really is an inspiration to me because I do see him, you know, brushing himself off and moving forward. And over time he has, I think, realized that, you know, there that when people are not kind out there in the world, he needs to just let it roll off of him. And I think he's a lot like me in that my feelings get hurt and it's hard for me to share, you know, shed that. I'm always trying to please people and, and have people, you know, like what I do. And, and he's the same way. And when someone isn't nice, it's hard for him to move past that. So he's taught me that, you know, you know, I need to sort of give up on some of that as well. And, you know, I, we try to help each other do that. And, and I see him striving forward and, um, I really am, am super proud of him and the things that he's accomplished. And I, you know, I'll tell you, especially he's got an adorable dog now uh, that he's, that is just the cutest little dog. And his daughter is um, the love of his life. He just loves, loves, loves her and is um, a totally devoted dad. So that gives me a lot of joy to see how, how much he's trying to, to raise her with the right values and the right moral compass. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad he's doing well and we wish him nothing but the best. And he's an amazing mom. So I guess my last question for you today is, you know, when you got your 22, when he got his 22Q diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you're in that moment and it's completely new to you, if you could go back in time to that moment and tell yourself something, what would it be? I think that it's going to be okay. You know, that I think that when you hear about something like this, of course, it's not as a parent, you don't want anything different to be about your child. But, um, you know, that it is going to be what it is. And, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation a lot with different people that you have to almost live in the moment and not worry about what might happen down the, the road, because you can drive yourself crazy with that worrying about the things you read online or the struggles that other families are having. Not that you should bury your head in the sand and not look or anticipate, you know, or act on things if you see things come up, but don't dwell on what might happen. And, you know, think about your child today and what they need today and stay in the moment because, this syndrome has paths that families can't predict and doesn't help to be worrying about it. So as a parent, I've always tried to stay in the moment and be reassuring and just try to deal with the problem that we're dealing with now and kind of move forward with it that way. Great advice. Live in the moment. Yep. 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 No, great advice. Well, thank you, Donna. This was wonderful. 
You're welcome. I can't thank you enough. And um, you can find out more on, in the description of this podcast on how to contact Donna if you have further questions or like to learn more about what she does. So thank you again, Donna. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to contact me, you can reach me at 22qpodcast at gmail.com with any questions, concerns, or if you're interested in being on this podcast. Until next time, thank you again. Please share and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And never forget, 22Q family, that you are not alone.